Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Chelsea through to the Champions League semi-finals. Now it's up to Liverpool and Manchester City to complete the hat-trick of Premier League teams in the final four. The Blues saw off Porto over two legs. Meanwhile, the Reds face an uphill battle to come from 3-1 down against Real Madrid. They've done it before in the Champions League. Can they do it again? Manchester City have the advantage against Dortmund in their quarter-final second leg tie, but it is a slender one. We'll discuss tonight's European encounters as well as answering your questions on today's show where we'll be talking about Arteta's Arsenal future as well as hamsters, ostriches and cheese. I'm not joking either, we'll get to that shortly. My name's Niall, this is Football Social Daily and joining me we've got Matt Pidd. How are you doing Matt? Alright Niall. Have you got the butterflies yet? Pre-Champions League nerves? Oh, as soon as I woke up in the morning mate, I felt sick. <laughs> I've seen a few other City fans say that They've missed that big match feeling, that kind of, you know, when you wake up on the morning of a game and you think, oh, all you can think about is the game. It's been a while. Um, even though there's no crowd here, obviously if there would have been a crowd, it would have felt that a little bit more special. But yeah, it's, um, it's a second leg of a quarterfinal of the Champions League. So yeah, it doesn't matter if there's a crowd here or not tonight. I'm still feeling them nerves. We've also got Ian Brannan. How are you doing, Ian? Yeah, good. Thank you. Good to be here. Welcome along, everybody. Good to have you back. Um, Matt's talking about the quarterfinal of the Champions League. It's been 20 years since Leeds got to a Champions League quarterfinal. Oh, well, yeah, but what a what a quarterfinal it was. Um, now then, who did they play? I think I went to that match. I think I was there. Uh, I can't you remember who it was. In the semi, didn't you? But yeah, Valencia was in the semi. I didn't get a ticket for Valencia because all the Glory supporters came out of the woodwork, and you couldn't get a ticket for Love No Money. You know what that's like. You know, <laughs> I know what that's that like. Feeling. Leeds Glory supporters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah. Everybody was a Leeds fan briefly, but and, and uh, yeah, but I think they played. Was it Deportivo La Coruña? Either way, they, they played Deportivo because there's a big load of beef, and um, there was um, there was a, a big. I remember the. Dip- Sportivo game because there was a crowd chant of you can stick your daily mirror up your ass for some reason. That's the one thing I remember from that particular match. I don't know what they'd said, but it, it wasn't uh, wasn't particularly flattering, uh, clearly. So there was uh, there was unrest. You can tell that it was a long time ago. We're talking about Leeds Valencia and Deportivo La Coruña in the Champions League. Because, because Leeds had got to the semi-final, they sent out the forms to book your seats at the San Siro for the final that year as well. And so that's how close they were, obviously a long way since then. Yeah, absolutely. Well, will Manchester City get the job done against Dortmund tonight and book their place in the Champions League semi-final? We'll come on to that a little bit later, but we'll start with the Champions League quarter-final second leg that took place last night between Chelsea and Porto, of which the Portuguese side won by a goal to nil. But Chelsea go through because of that two-goal away cushion that they did have from the first leg. However, they lost the game 1-0 last night to what for me is probably the greatest consolation goal of all time, a bicycle kick into the top bins to score in the final minute, but it wasn't enough for Porto in the end. What a goal, Matt. Honestly, we'll come on to the game in a sec, but that is an unbelievable strike. Yeah, I've seen the highlights of it last night. I actually watched the um, the PSG buying game because obviously it had a little bit more um, bit more appeal to it. It was a bit more of a tastier affair. But as soon as um, I finished watching that, I went on Twitter and I seen it. And I thought, wow, like, like, a goal like that like is fit to win any game of football, even a Champions League final. I mean, we've seen a couple of great goals in Champions League finals over uh, recent history. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the little lad Taremi there, you know, he's he's done everything right. His technique was absolutely perfect, and he was just he was sitting there now thinking, yeah, it's a great. 
goal, but it should have been, you know, a little bit more like sort of fitting for them to, to maybe take them to the semi-final. But unfortunately, it wasn't me to, um, to be for Porto. But they, they won on the night and it wasn't really, you know, the greatest game. You know, it was fairly even on mm-hmm. how, how many shots both teams had. I think Porto only had two on target, Chelsea and they had one. Um, surprisingly, though, Porto had a little bit more of the ball. Um, but they just they couldn't get the job done on the night. Obviously, Tuchel's got his um, his team set up in the first leg to do, to basically get the game you know as um, as comfortable mm. as possible, and those tactics worked out perfectly for him. Yeah, they did the damage in the first leg, didn't they, Chelsea? I mean, two away goals that's a really nice cushion to have going into a second leg. But as you say, Porto, they did try and impose themselves on the game, but Chelsea have been so solid at the back. And Edouard Mendy, I thought his reaction in the Chelsea goal, Ian, was really interesting because he was absolutely fuming when Porto scored in the 90th minute, albeit an incredible goal to concede. I think every goalkeeper will probably hold their hands up and say, yeah, it's going to be tough to stop that one going in. But obviously he lost his clean sheet and you probably get a bonus, don't you, as a goalkeeper for keeping a clean sheet. I just wanted your opinion on how much of an upgrade you think he's been on Kepa Arisa Balaga since his arrival at Chelsea because there were loads of question marks around Kepa, his price tag and whether he was letting Chelsea down at the back and defensively and those leaky moments and those errors. Do you think Mendy's done enough to be considered a, a decent upgrade on him? I think so. They've certainly been a little bit more stable, haven't they? And particularly since Tuchel took over. I mean, they they didn't really uh, have a reputation um, or haven't had a reputation under Tuchel for, for scoring goals, but they haven't had a massive reputation for conceding too many either, apart from uh, apart from the uh, was it the West Brom game where um, things went slightly south. But, you know, they, they've been fairly tight at the back. And I think it's no coincidence that... Um, that since uh, since Mendy has, has been in goal, that they have been a lot more stable, and he seems to rise to the challenge a lot more in in the European matches as well. And Porto were talking last week before they played the first leg uh, that they could have been a, a potential surprise that uh, Porto mm. could have um, you know sprung a surprise on them in in either leg because they're a very strong team. They've got some great players. They even got uh, Chelsea player uh, among their ranks as uh, ranks as well. I'm I'm surprised that by the way that that. Uh, Taremi, who who came on and scored that goal, actually was on the bench because he's one of Porto's you know top stars. You you think that he would have played more of a part in that game, but um, yeah, I think under Mendy they they do look more solid, um, less erratic. I think Kepa on his day, yeah, brilliant, but he's also one of these that on his on his day he can he can have an excellent nightmare, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I thought his reaction, as I just mentioned, Matt, to the way that the goal went in and the way he was kind of berating the defenders, even though it was an unbelievable finish for kind of taking their foot off the gas and their eye off the ball in the 90th minute, highlighting the defensive drilling that Thomas Tuchel's given them since he's arrived at the club to show that your goalkeeper is still roaring orders and and giving it the large one even after a consolation in the 90th minute yeah and that's a great mentality to have like i'm gonna i'm gonna touch on what ian was saying there about them being more assured at the back now they've they've kept 13 clean sheets out of 19 in all competitions now compare that to the way they was conceding goals on the lampard before the differences are night and day and that will give great encouragement to chelsea fans you know because they've still got the players that can go and do it up at top as well but they needed to address Mm. those defensive issues and Mendy's came in and he's been a revelation for them. Like Ian was saying, um, Kepa there, you know, he, he has um, been known to drop the the, the, the clangor here and there. And his defence, you know, when when I've, I've been a goalkeeper before and when your defence isn't like sure about you, say, say if you've made like a, a bit of a dodgy error in a game, it also breeds like, you know, a little bit of like, you know, like not confidence in you in your centre halves. Your, your centre halves are going to be a bit panicky if the ball goes near you and stuff like that. So having a, a keeper like Mendy, 
in between the sticks will breed confidence throughout that whole back four. They'll be a bit more like assured of themselves. And that, that's, that's gone to show in the, uh, the games that Tuchel's had at Chelsea so far this season. It's interesting as well then when you um, go back to when Tuchel took over because when you look back at news stories from around that time, um, he was talking about how he was giving um, Kepa um, a chance. You know, and the fact that that Kepa had fallen out of favour a little bit with um, with Frank Lampard at the time before he left, um, Tuchel was really you know resetting the scores, and I think he actually preferred uh, Kepa to begin with. But f- for him now to be um, second t- to Mendy sort of tells you the thinking really that um, that perhaps there, there, there are some problems perhaps with, with Kepa. Yeah and I think there were some talks as well when Tuchel did come in that as you say in clean slate but also Roman Abramovich we know he likes to squeeze as much out of his assets as possible. He's not afraid to spend money as the owner of Chelsea. When you break the world record for a goalkeeper spend 75 million on him and he's rubbish I think that it's only fair that the new manager comes in and he's probably been briefed, Thomas Tuchel, to come on, we spent 200 million in the summer on Havertz and Werner. We spent money on Kepa a couple of years ago and we're not getting the best out of them. We're not getting a tune out of them. So I wonder if that was part of Tuchel's remit to come in and almost make those assets valuable again and get them playing. Possibly so, yeah. And he's certainly given them a chance to prove that as well. I think this is the thing, because I think if you've got a manager that's going out, you get a player saying, oh, yeah, but he didn't like me. It was all personal and I wasn't getting the chances and I need more chances. I need more love and support and all this kind of stuff. Um, and he's given them that. And, and and if you're still rubbish after having the score reset, then you can't really complain, can you? You know, he's given him his, his chances. And um, obviously he feels that, that Mendy yeah. um, is, is a more assured solution. And, and that's proving to be the case because the, you know last night they, didn't, they, they did concede a goal but um, uh, in previous matches you know they have had a, over the last 10 12 games or so that Tuchel's been in charge a very hard defence to, to break down you can't legislate for conceding goals like that neither that just, that's just one well, of the things yeah. that happens <laughs> goals will happen you know <laughs> nobody goes through the season conceding no goals you know that's, that would be a phenomenal uh, situation yeah. and a very dull situation <laughs> I think as well so. Yeah, well, indeed. Well, before the West Brom game where they conceded five, I think they had kept seven clean sheets in a row. So I think that definitely proves your point. What do you think, Ian, about the next two weeks for Chelsea then? They've got Manchester City twice in the FA Cup semi-final this weekend, then in a couple of weeks' time in a Premier League game. They're still chasing the top four. And they've also got West Ham to play, who look like they're trying to make that fourth spot their own in East London. So how important is the next fortnight for Chelsea? It's pretty important because it's getting pretty tight at the top, isn't it? As you say, with West Ham chasing the uh, the Champions League now. Um, Man City, I think, as um, Matt will, will probably uh, know more about this, but Man City are uh, renowned for changing their, their teams around a little bit, um, much to the benefit of Leeds United at the weekend, but nobody's going to complain about that here. Um, but, you know, they... they um, I don't think they'll be playing the same Man City team twice, if that makes sense, because... Man City, if they're successful tonight, uh, they're going to um, they're going to be having their eye on on further Champions League matches. So are they going to uh, really flog the same eleven uh, on two occasions? I don't think they will. I think there will be changes. So still tough games though. Um, but yeah, you got to play them all if you want to if you want to be a winner and uh, and get to the top. You got to play them all and win them all. So they're going to have to just mm. face these uh, top uh, top teams and uh, and get a result if 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 they want to be in the uh, Champions League. I mean from a city perspective Matt, do you think that your side are more fearful of Chelsea than they perhaps were just a couple of months ago under Frank Lampard after the way Thomas Tuchel has turned them around because I think the performance over both legs in the last 16 against Atletico Madrid certainly turned a few heads as to Chelsea being able to get the job done against 
the top sides, not just in Europe, but also in England. So do you think there's a different mentality when you're coming up against Chelsea now? Or do you still back, I'm sure you still back City to get the job done, but do you think it'll be a, a different proposition than perhaps what it was under Lampard? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I still I still back us to beat them if, if we're at our best on the day and we don't waste any chances, absolutely. But the Chelsea that we're, we're facing against Tuchel, if we was facing against Lampard, are two completely different sides. And I'm, I'm sure Pep Guardiola and his players know that. They will have had, you know, certain tactics in mind coming up against the Lampard team rather than against the Tuchel team. So it's gonna, it's it's gonna. I'm not uh, taking it for granted one little bit. I mean, Chelsea have got um, no Kovacic for the semi final over the weekend, but they've still got some some quality players in midfield. Um, in Golo Kante, I'm a massive admirer of his. Like I think um, Tuchel mm. saying it's he's like having like one and a half two players in your midfield. He's absolutely everywhere. I mean, I seen him at Leicester when he was with the title winning side, and there was no wonder Chelsea went in for him yeah. straight away. I was actually, you know, pretty gutted we didn't put a bid in for him because I'd, I'd absolutely love him in our midfield. He's, he's got one of the best engines I've ever seen. He's, he's an absolutely fantastic player, great person as well off the pitch. He seems like as well. Yeah. Um, did he just and, turn and up to some random fan's wedding as well? Didn't he? Did you see I that? Think, yeah, I've seen that story. <laughs> Randomly yeah, that rocked up to someone's me. wedding. That doesn't surprise me because he seems like that kind of guy. He seems very humble, and he, he's he's not got um he's not he's not got like um like any sort of ego about him. He just goes and does his talking on the pitch, and then goes home and does what he does. But yeah, going back to the way um, Tuchel's got Chelsea playing right now, Tuchel's got them very very solid at the back. They've got a lot of metal about them, and if City if City are going to do the business on Saturday against them and against them in the league, City can't afford to do what they've done against like. Teams like Leeds and I would have wasted like you know twenty odd chances. We had twenty seven shots against Leeds on on Saturday, and we only had seven on target. And Leeds were absolutely clinical, and just mm. it just goes to show you can have as many shots as you want in a game of football, but if you don't put the ball in the net, it counts for nothing. Fair play to Leeds; they did that. It was the same against United. United, we had more of the ball, we had more shots, and United again were more clinical. So I'm, I'm hoping that tonight. Um, Pepper's got that in the back of his mind, and he's drilled it into his players this week. We can't afford to miss mm. chances, especially at the highest level. We'll talk more about City later. I actually saw a video of N'Golo Conte on YouTube yesterday where the ball's dropping out of the sky. He's gone to control it and basically he's controlled it so heavy that he's basically tried to pass it to a teammate. <laughs> um, and he ends up collecting the ball himself, running past two players. So basically he passed the ball to himself 15 yards <laughs> and still managed to control it. It was just ridiculous. I don't think he meant to do it, but the fact that he made a mistake and then atoned for that error in about five seconds flat ran past two or three players to collect the ball. He is a special talent, N'Golo Conte, but I do feel like maybe he's just slightly dipped in form. I wonder if Thomas Tuchel can bring him back up to the peak where he was just a couple of years ago. Anyway, Chelsea through to the Champions League semi-finals by beating Porto 2-1 on aggregate. They'll face Liverpool or Real Madrid in the semi-finals, and that's what we're going to talk about now because the second leg of that quarter-final also takes place tonight. Liverpool 3-1 down to Real Madrid on aggregate. Improbable, but not impossible for Liverpool, Ian. But if Madrid score and score early, do you think that'll be curtains for Jurgen Klopp's side? Uh, yeah, I think so. With um, with uh, an, an, you know an away goal is is going to make things a lot more difficult, isn't it? It's going to mean they're going to have to um, be very clinical for the rest of the game, especially if they concede that goal and it remains nil nil. And you know you didn't in the seventy eightieth minute or whatever. I think yeah, that's all done and dusted then, isn't it? But um, Jurgen Klopp though um, in his press conference has been de- demanding that Liverpool stand up and be counted tonight. He wants the real Liverpool back. 
Um, which you know, it's like Eminem, real slim shady. Please yeah, stand up. Say, <laughs> took the words out of my mouth there, Niall. Uh, maybe that's where he's getting his inspiration from. Um, but you know, he's saying we don't, we will not lose sight of how good we are and the talent we have. And that's the thing, isn't it? Because yeah, we, we talk about Virgin, Virgil Van Dyke not being in the team, one or two other injuries. Did and you stuff, just call but... him Virgin Van Dyke? No, Virgil. <laughs> <laughs> you just did. I don't want to... <laughs> that would be uh, that would be that would be a cheap shot, surely. Um, but... <laughs> anyway, look, he, he they've got him ha- him out and, and and massive miss for the team. But I think every major team, Real Madrid are one of them who have had major players missing through the course of this season and still getting there through the through the matches and, and doing pretty well. Um, Liverpool, of course, you know, can't look at they've not had a horrific season because they're in the the, the final stages of the Champions League and uh, you know they're still in there with with a shout. So it's not a disaster of a season, but really when it comes to it, we know that they've got better performances in them. They're not down to the bare bones. They're not playing the reserves. They've still got some very, very good players, world-class players in their team. And uh, I can see his message, really, that you know they're, they're a shadow of, of what they were last season. And uh, they're, ca- they're capable of turning this result around. It's the kind of comeback mm. that Liverpool are famous for. And they need yeah. one of those nights tonight. Absolutely. And you think back to that game against Barcelona where they won four goals to nil at Anfield. But everything was so different then, Matt. Fans back in the ground was one big element of that. Obviously, they're not going to have that at Anfield. They also had an exceptional record at home, which has disappeared this season. And now they've been wretched on their own patch, particularly in the Premier League. But I guess the biggest thing for me, even if you look back to that Barcelona game where they did the impossible almost and turned the deficit around to win 4-0, they had confidence. They absolutely oozed confidence when they were really firing on all cylinders. It felt like they could beat anyone at any time in any way. But now that confidence seems really low at Liverpool. Jurgen Klopp's spoken in press conferences as well about how confidence is hard to gain but easy to break and I totally side with what he says there. But is it not his job to try and restore that? I mean if you're looking at players for an example Sadio Mane I would pinpoint as someone who looks on the floor and just completely bereft of confidence. I mean we touched on this on the uh, podcast last week we were talking about um, the Liverpool v Barcelona game and how much things are different now and it's no coincidence that without the crowds at home especially Liverpool have have been a shadow of the former selves we all know how you know the cop can actually it's mad to say this but a crowd can actually suck the ball into the back of the net I've never seen another team like it especially on these big European nights and on that night against Barcelona also it was the day after City had beat Leicester with a Vincent Company goal now if Liverpool would have lost on that night night, they, they might have not had a or they wouldn't have had a, a trophy to lift at the end of the season now that would have fired them up also because they thought like lads look basically the Premier League is probably gone now because City have got to go and beat Brighton on the final game of the season which is probably going to happen anyway and we've got Wolves. And if we mm. don't beat Barcelona, there's a, a very good chance that we could have had about one of our best ever seasons domestically in the Premier League and not had anything to show for it. So we, we really need to, you know, get ourselves into the game here. And we need to go out and we need to absolutely rip Barcelona to shreds, which they did in the night. And now the, the way they've been this season, they've had no Van Dijk. Obviously, it's a massive miss. We had no Laporte last season. I know how much it, it means like to have a, one of your best centre-halves not there. You know, he's their leader as well, which doesn't help. Um got no Jordan Henderson for tonight, who's a massive miss because he's another one. He's he's another leader. You know, he's been captain on a few occasions. He knows how to get the lads going. They've still got Quebec mm. and Phillips playing at centre-half. Um, but a, a big plus for them tonight, Liverpool. Madrid have no Ramos or Varane, who are obviously Madrid's best centre-halves. So, you know, it's it's the first goal tonight is absolutely crucial. 
if if Liverpool can get a goal early and then the Madrid players might just start to have a little bit of self-doubt there and they'll be able to sense that. I think mm. Jurgen Klopp was saying they need to create their own atmosphere, you know, because they've got no crowd. They need to create, you know, the, mm. the uncomfortable atmosphere for the Madrid players. They, made, they need to make the Madrid players know that they are in a game early on. You know, and if Liverpool can get that early goal and, like you said, players like Mane, whose confidence is on the floor, if Mane can turn up tonight and turn it on, which we know he can, and we all know players go through periods of, you know, having no confidence and not being able to, you know, hit a barn door. So it's it's one of them. It's, it's all transitional. Liverpool have been at a very, very high level as well for two consistent seasons. When we were challenging with them for the Premier League, they got 97 points. And now, you know, that's the best ever second place finish in the Premier League. And it probably will never be beaten. That I can't see it ever being beaten. They've been at a very high level for a long time. And it's hard to maintain those levels. I've seen it with us. We mm-hmm. was last season, we were terrible, you know, and we was going through a transitional period. This season, we look like we've picked it back up. And I'm sure Liverpool next season, they'll spend money and hopefully with the crowds coming back in, things will start to uh, pick up for them again. But it's a very, very difficult game tonight. Madrid, experts in the Champions League, knockout stages, they know how to see a game out. But with mm. no uh, no Ramos and no Varane, Liverpool, you know, they, they've got uh, they've still got a chance in it. It's not over, not by any means. Absolutely. Well, Real Madrid holds the 3-1 advantage in this second leg quarter-final tie. But I saw an interesting piece in The Athletic Ian, about Mo Salah, his lawyer or agent, just associate, I suppose you could call him, Rami Abbas Issa, has been speaking to The Athletic and he said that Salah isn't angling for a move away because he's often been linked with Real Madrid, such as his form been so good over the last few seasons. But he is actually concerned about the indications that Liverpool may be reluctant to offer him top wages in the future. And the reasons discussed for that would be the fact that, in Liverpool's opinion, He's ageing, which I thought was bizarre considering he's 28, almost 29 years of age. And their other reason is it's the middle of a pandemic. Plenty of years left on his contract. I think it's risky not to offer your top stars the wages that they're asking for, particularly someone who looks like he could reach 25, 30 goals this season again from a wing position. He's not even a centre forward, Mo Salah. Um, He scored 30 odd, I think almost 40 goals a few seasons back. He is a hell of a player for Liverpool. I just find this really, really bizarre. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, he is a hell of a player, as you say. He's you know he's been absolutely instrumental in their success over the last few years. And whilst this season's not been the strongest, Mo Salah has still been performing, maybe slightly um, under the radar a little bit, but he's still been um, been doing his job. Um, I can see the reason about the pandemic because you know the the clubs and and yeah, it's like crying the poor tale, but. They they really do suffer from um, the, la- the the loss of income from fans coming through the turnstile, and not so much that, but through the corporate money coming through the uh, the, the doors as well. You know your your um, executive boxes, other sponsorships, and things like that that they they probably would have done that they aren't doing now. And whilst that might seem like chicken feed in in some respects compared to the amount of money that they get, it's still. All, all goes in the in the pot and a lot of the income from a football club does go on on player wages so I can see that that might be a, a restriction because I know a lot of football clubs are having a budget slightly differently at the moment but hopefully things will improve soon mm. um, but yeah he's got plenty of years left on his contract he's, he's a valuable player for Liverpool and, and risky talk 
it's always usually the agent that you've got to worry rather than the player. You don't Salah probably isn't saying that anything. You know, he's probably not angling himself for anything. I will always ask the question: What is the agent up to? Uh, it's usually because the agent, don't forget, mm. benefits just as much as the player does. You know, the agent gets signing on fees, absolutely. Yeah, contract extensions, signing on fees, all sorts of money goes on in the background for for agents. So you know, the agent wants a payday. Well, I've got Mo Salah on the books. Might just you know see if uh, Real Madrid are interested and uh, collect a few million um, just for uh, for the process. So you know, it, it, it that's it's always the agents I find. This, this was sorry, sorry guys. This was the refreshing thing um, when Kevin De Bruyne signed his contract extension. There was no agents involved. It was all just to do with him in the mm. club, and I think that's a very, very rare thing nowadays. I think Paul Scholes had no agent even when he was um, when he was playing back in his day. Yeah. Like, it's, like the agents nowadays, like you were just saying there, now like stand to make like a lot of money, and you know it's it's sort of like it's it makes it makes things seem a little bit more underhanded. Like you're probably saying there, Mo Salah probably doesn't even you know he, he has. You know, every desire to stay with Liverpool, but you know what his agent's thinking now? He's thinking, how can we get mm. more money out of Liverpool? Mm. Hang on a minute. We'll say Real Madrid are interested and then we'll see what they say. You know what I mean? It's, it's, a, bit, it's a bit sad. But do you think, using the De Bruyne example, do you think City didn't offer De Bruyne top wages? Of course they did. He's one of their best assets. It's what you do to keep your assets and to keep them valuable and to keep them hungry. You give them the best payday. And Liverpool not giving their best player over the last five seasons, who will go down as a Liverpool legend when he leaves the club, he's won the Premier League with them and the Champions League, almost at times single-handedly firing them to trophies and to success, along with a couple of others, of course. But he's been key going forward for them. I mean, for Liverpool not to offer him the money he wants to stay at the club, even though he's at least got three or four years left, at the top level, seeing as he's 28 and he's just about to turn 29, I just don't understand Liverpool's logic. I know they have to budget differently because of the pandemic and stuff like that, but because he's getting too old, I think that's an absolute nonsense. I think too, though, that there's, there's, it's not always just about money. And, and if, you're a, if you're a successful player, if, if you're a young player, right, let's start the other way around. If you're a young player trying to make your name in the sport and you've got a bit of talent, right? Erling Haaland, right? He's a very good player. His dad happened to be a very good player as well and he's now his agent so it's slightly different there but that agent will help you climb the ladder quicker you're not waiting for the scouts to come and find you you've got somebody banging the drum for you going in there having the meetings and all that and pushing you along that's where an agent comes in if you're Kevin De Bruyne or indeed if you're Mo Salah or any of these people do you really need an agent to be banging the drum everybody is aware of you they know what they know that you are a footballer and that you're pretty good because you're playing in one of the best teams in Europe yeah. you're in the shop window so Really, you've I think that's beyond the point. I think the point here is not even the agent. I think the point here is if Liverpool and Mo Salah went and did it on his own and didn't have the agent involved, mm. if the if the crux of the matter is Liverpool don't want to offer him the best wages, then that's a Liverpool problem. It's not an agent it's problem or a Salah yeah, problem. A it's their issue because they've decided for whatever reason they don't want to offer one of their best players the money that he feels he deserves. And I think even if you use the De Bruyne thing as an example, there's no way that Kevin De Bruyne went in there into those meetings asking for the same money. Of course he wants a pay rise. He's been one of City's best players probably ever, at least in the Premier League it. era. And he's definitely earned it. And I think from the reports coming out of that, he went into those meetings with the facts, with the figures, with the statistics saying, I'm Kevin De Bruyne, I've done this, I've contributed to this, here are the hard black and white facts as to why you should give me an extension and some more money. Now, if Salah went in and did that, 
Liverpool would be foolish to say no to that. Salah could laugh them out of town. But similarly, Man City obviously really know the value of Kevin De Bruyne. They know they know they know they've got to pay him well because they know other teams are interested. We don't know the thing with Salah. You know, we don't know exactly what he has or hasn't been offered. We're taking the, his his agent's word for it, so we don't know exactly where he stands in the pecking order at uh, at Liverpool at this moment in time. But maybe Liverpool are like, well. You know, we've got other plans. We don't know. We don't know. So there's there's always that no. um, that that sort of question mark. As I say, when agents are involved, it's um, it's a pinch of salt sometimes required. Yeah, <laughs> I think hundred percent. Really interesting chat, actually. Kevin De Bruyne, by the way, twenty nine years of age. So I think this whole idea of players getting over the age of thirty and therefore being past it, it's just becoming more and more untrue as the years go on. Look at the likes of Zlatan Ibrahimovic. He's going to be forty soon. And he's still banging in goals in one of Europe's top five leagues. You know, he was playing in the Premier League at 37 or whatever. Um, you know, there's so many good examples of players now with the sports science and the nutrition and everything else playing to a longer age, uh, a later age, sorry. Yeah, I think fitness levels are a big thing now, aren't they? Like with the way that the players look after themselves, they can play for, for so much longer. Definitely. Anyway, let's talk about Manchester City. We touched upon them earlier. Dortmund tonight, Matt, you lead 2-1 on aggregate. Stats show that sides leading 2-1 going into a second leg of a quarter-final in the Champions League have actually gone out more times than they've gone through, which I didn't realise. Do you think City will go against the grain tonight? Do they approach this as a simply win-at-all-costs game? I suppose they have to, because one thing you really don't want to be doing is uh, is giving Dortmund a sniff. No, and it's roles reversed as well from last week. You know, City lost against Leeds and actually Dortmund picked up a win, whereas the week before, you know, City won, Dortmund lost. And mm. I've always said that form in the league means absolutely nothing going into the Champions League. But it does help when you've you've had a decent win in the, in, in, the, in the weekend and then going into a big game like that. In the back of City players' minds now, they'll be thinking, we can't do what we did against Leeds again. We cannot have chances and we cannot fluff them. We even did it against Dortmund. I think Phil Foden could have had a hat-trick. You know, and which is why he didn't celebrate in the last minute when he scored because he knows he could have had a couple more. And we don't want to be ruining those chances against Dortmund in this game now because we could it could have been three or four one, and you know, we could, well, arguably it should have been like three or four two because Bellingham's goal should have stood. We all know that, but the first goal in this game tonight is crucial more so than the Liverpool and Madrid game because if Dortmund get a goal early on, City players' mentality is going to be tested absolutely to to, to the wire, you know. Dortmund, I've got experience in these games. They're playing at their own ground. Granted, there's no fans, but home advantage is gonna is gonna spur them on a little bit more. They've got the quality players. They've got no Sancho tonight, right? But that he had no part in the last game, so that doesn't really mean anything. City have got no Aguero, but we've been without him for the, pretty much the whole season, so injuries don't really come into it. What it's going to come down to tonight is who's going to take their chances, who's going to get their chances and actually put them in the net. Haaland didn't score against us in the, in the last game, so he's going to be hungry for it tonight. City are going to be absolutely you know, hungry for it because of the amount of chances they, they squandered against Leeds. It is all or nothing for us tonight. We all know the pressure on Guardiola and the players to deliver the Champions League and to deliver in these big European ties. The amount of overreaction I've seen from City fans over to... I don't think I've argued with so many City fans in my whole life over social media as I did on Saturday. They've got mm. we've got the most the most reactionary fan base in in the country. And when it comes to social media, don't forget we've won twenty eight out of thirty games. Think about those mm. numbers: twenty eight out of thirty games. No other club has done that this season. And we're talking now of uh, being uncertain about going into these type of games. Look, the players know full well what their job is tonight. 
rather than getting on their backs, like Sterling received so much abuse over over weekend. Obviously, he didn't have a great game, but if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have had the Centurion season. We wouldn't have had some of the best games that we've ever had and some of the, the, the best days we've ever had. So what mm. the, the, the fans need to do, the fans need to get behind the players and start supporting them that, that little bit more. And mm. rather than saying things like, Guardiola should have done this against Leeds, I don't know why we didn't play um, a full-strength side. If we would have played a full-strength side against Leeds and one of them would have got injured, they would have been absolutely berating him. For, for starting yeah. one of our star players before a massive game against Dortmund. So it's like a double-edged side. He can't do right for doing wrong at the moment. And you know what I think part of it is, Matt, as well? Your generation grew up with City being in League One yeah. and being used to losing. And that was pre-social media. And, you know, the modern generation of Manchester City fan, all they've known is social media and all they've known is City being successful. So I think there's a little bit of a paradox there yeah. between those younger City fans on social media who are only ever used to seeing City pick up trophy after trophy. And then there's people like yourself and and your close friends and family who've supported City for years and years and years who still don't know if you were 5-0 up in the first leg, whether you go and lose the 6-0 in the second leg. Yeah, you know, there's sitter. still that mentality, of course. Yeah. Yeah, of course it is, and it's, and it's never going to leave us. Like you said, I woke up this morning and I've, I've not felt like this like probably since we, we played United. I feel like this every derby day. But it's been a while since I've felt like this in the European game. Tonight feels like it's it's basically it's going to be make or break on our season. People are already saying about oh United if they win their game in hand they're only going to be eight points behind City. Look, I think the league's done. I'm going to go out on the record now and say the league's done. I don't think Pep Guardiola is going to let that happen, which is why he thought he could afford to play a weekend set. Well, say weekend. We had world class players on the pitch. Leeds were just you know more clinical on the day. I think it was three points that people say oh they couldn't afford to have dropped them. I think when you look at the grand scheme of things, would you have rather? I've lost against Leeds at weekend and then go and beat Dortmund during the week or would you rather it vice versa? I think we all know what we'd rather choose. So tonight it's it's gonna be all or nothing for him. It's gonna be either vindication or he's gonna he's gonna get absolutely slated all over social media. I am nervous. I'm very nervous about it. You can probably hear about, hear that from the way I'm talking about it now. It's a massive game against a team that can hurt you from anywhere on the pitch. And what we need to do is we need to just stand there and be counted. We need to defend like Lions when when, when we need to. And when, when the ball comes into the right areas, we need to do the right thing with it. Not overthink it. Let's just play the simple game, play the way we've played for the majority of the season, defend well and put the ball in the net. That's all we need to do tonight. It's as simple as that. Well, Pep Guardiola, can he get the job done? Can he break that almost Champions League curse? Hasn't won it for 10 years now since he won it with Barcelona by beating Manchester United in 20. 20- 11, but Bayern Munich, the holders, were knocked out last night by PSG. And I think it's fair to say Dortmund, although dangerous, are probably one of the weaker teams left in the competition. So you certainly feel for Pep. He would be desperate to get the job done tonight for Manchester City. 2-1, they lead on aggregate against Borussia Dortmund. Of course, we'll bring all the reaction from both of tonight's Champions League quarterfinals second legs on tomorrow's Football Social Daily. But of course, today is Wednesday, which means we need to answer your questions. We'll do it next here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sport Social. Make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't ever miss an episode of the show again. Brand new podcast right throughout the Premier League season. A new one every day that will drop straight into your inbox and you'll be notified when it's released as well. So make sure you do hit that subscribe button. 
On a Wednesday, we do AQA, which stands for All Questions Answered. You guys have been sending in your questions to us via social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Just search for Sports Social and we should pop up there in the search bar. Some really good questions this week. This one comes from the guys at Scoreless Thriller. And they ask, does winning the Europa League determine whether Arteta stays as Arsenal manager next season? I think Arsenal's season this season, Ian, has been fascinating. Not in the way that they've played because it's been quite dull, to be honest with you. But um, just the whole way that we've spoken about so many times on the show, Arsenal, and almost like there's less uproar and outcry about Arsenal being 11th and 10th in the table and just being bang average this season than there would be if it was another big club. It's almost like they've settled for mediocrity. Yeah, I mean, you hear Spurs fans going on about how their club is at the moment and and what a disaster it is that they're in seventh and, and, you know, they really need to be in in Europe this next season. Um, You don't hear that from Arsenal and and Arsenal are only a few points behind Spurs. It's it's a a bizarre situation, though, to see the name Arsenal sort of mid-table. And, you know, Christmas time or so, they were... They were hovering above the relegation zone for a long time. You know, they've really uh, come on this second half of the season. has been a lot better than the, the first half, that's for sure. But will winning the UEFA Cup, uh, well, as, as it used to be called. God, well, it sounds more prestigious, the UEFA Cup. It does, doesn't part. it? Europa League <laughs> just sounds like some sort of weird, you know, um, intergalactic competition of some kind. But Well, wait until <clears> next <throat> season when they've got the UEFA yeah. Europa Conference League. Oh, what, what's <laughs> that? that, that was that got like Rushton and Diamonds in it and, and stuff like that? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, literally. I don't want to go into explaining it because it'll take another half Everybody's an hour to do that. Europe but keep night. an eye out for yeah, it. Um, yeah, look, winning the, uh, the as was UEFA Cup, Europa League, always a bit of a, a, a bridesmaid and not the bride kind of um, tournament really for me. You know, great to be involved in it. Fantastic. Will it will it change the course of history? Um, I'm not sure. Um was it Gerard Houllier? I mean, he was under the cosh, wasn't he, at Liverpool uh, many, many years ago, and and they won that tournament, and that sort of began the uh, a period of success really for Liverpool. Um, I mean, they didn't win the league, but you know, they, they it sort of upped their game slightly in well, those uh, following years. Oh, is that the one in trouble? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah they so, won yeah, the, uh, the league cup, yeah. the FA Cup as that's well. It. Yeah, they won everything except the league, didn't they? That was it. But um, yeah, it, it, it did it did kickstart them there. Um, in this day and age, will people give them, uh, you know, enough um, enough time? I, I don't know. I don't know. Winning the Europa, Europa League gets you into the Champions League, though, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, it does. So there is that. So maybe that um, equival- equates to a top four finish in, in the minds of the owners and, and gets them the cash. So maybe it might just be enough uh, if they did win that and got on the Champions League. Um, perhaps that mm. is the... Uh, Perhaps that is the saving grace. I think the ch- getting in the Champions League for Arsenal is probably more important than actually winning the Cup. Yeah, I suppose so. But I just think the FA Cup last season almost, Matt, gave Arsenal an extra course for optimism and an extra reason to be excited about this season because Arteta, in just six months in the job, won Arsenal a trophy. And they're the most successful club in the FA Cup. I think with 14 titles, they're a couple clear of Manchester United and they are the most successful English side in the FA Cup. But still... I feel that Arsenal fans should still be dis- bitterly disappointed with the way this season's gone. But if he wins two trophies in two seasons, despite the fact that Arsenal may finish 10th this year, do you have to label that as a success? It's strange because football is now so much like a results-based game and where you are in the league, it sort of reflects like on everything. 
But like you said, if Arsenal win the Europa League, that's two trophies in two seasons plus a Champions League qualification now. If they didn't win Europa League and got in the top four, things would look, you know, a little, a little bit better for Arteta. But it's the same difference. It's the same sort of outcome, but just a different position in the league. Now, I love Arteta, obviously, because of his, his connection to, to Man City and things that he did with Pep Guardiola. I think he needs to be given time. He's a very, very young manager who has learned from one of, or arguably, the best manager that's that's been around for the last like ten years or so. Um, and he's got he's got some good, decent players there. I think he still needs another good couple of transfer windows to sign, you know, his own players. And the, the, the pandemic's not out with transfer funds and stuff like that. And the Arsenal fans, if you remember, they was all berating Wenger to get out. I think you need to be careful what you wish for because um, mm. they had, um, who was the manager before that? He's, oh God. Emery. Yeah, yeah, Unai Emery. Yeah, I think... They've they've sort of like you know brought this on themselves. They they, they have this um, this this fan base Arsenal where they they go on Arsenal fan TV and they say all these things about the managers and the players and stuff like that. And then when it doesn't work out in their favour when they leave, they still moan. So I think Arsenal just they really just need to like keep the foot off the gas in that respect in regards to Arteta. I think they just basically need to see how they do at the end of this season. If they do win the Europa League and they get in the Champions League, they're going to get you know hundred million plus you know to spend or to go towards whatever. So I think that that would be a successful season for Arsenal. An mm. FA Cup last season for Arteta, in his first six months of management of a major club like Arsenal, and then to go and win a European trophy for them in the space of a year. No, I think I think the man needs to be given props and he, um, he needs to be given time. Mm. Although that league question mark will still be there until Arsenal do get themselves back up to the top 10 at least of the Premier League and then top six and then top Tonight four. for the moment, actually. Are they? Wow. I think they're at level on points. They're level on points with Leeds, though. So Leeds <laughs> are having a, a fantastic season, aren't they? Both on 45 points. To be fair, I think that it's a really interesting question regarding Mikel Arteta. It never feels like he's under any pressure because I think all the players have bought into the process in inverted commas. And we've spoken about what Arsenal's process is and what the plan is from Mikel Arteta. Even Alexandra Lacazette had trust the process printed on his boots at one point this season. So I think the players are definitely on board with what's going on. I just think yeah, you're right about whether they right. need to spend a hundred million on players and whether that's going to happen. I can't see Arsenal spending that much money on players in the summer. And I think if they do win the Europa League and qualify for the Champions League, such as the weakness of their squad compared to the rest of Europe, I think at the moment that they'd be lucky to get through to the knockout stages. I don't know whether I'm being harsh or not, but that's just my opinion. Really good question. Thanks guys from Scoreless Thriller for asking that one. Next question comes from a long time listener of Football Social Daily, a regular listener to Nick B 3241 on Twitter. Thanks as always for your question, Nick. Uh, he wants to know, has this been the worst season of Premier League football ever? Poor quality in general Little drama in the title race and relegation battle. No fans in stadiums and grounds. Unchanged Saturday afternoon schedules from three o'clock. Now, this is something we've spoken about a couple of times fleetingly on Football Social Daily, but never really in detail. I'll let you take this one on, Matt. I think I think Nick has a point in terms of... It's, it all starts with me with having no fans in the stadium. I think having fans in the stadium creates like an urgency amongst players, especially in the in the bigger games, like, you yeah. know, the derbies and stuff like that. They like dictate the tempo of the game, don't they? They do, they do don't they? Like, you get the electric atmospheres and you can, and you, can you feel the hairs and your arms stand up and on the back of your neck when you're watching it or when you're in the ground. You know, it just adds so much more to these games, the, especially the bigger games. I mean, even even like the, the lesser soul games, the, the sort of like, um, I don't really want to disrespect any club. Let's just say, um, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna disrespect a club. You don't like Southampton versus West Brom, you know, on um, 
on a on a Saturday afternoon. You know, even having a crowd in there will make a difference. You know, it's not the, the game you really want to watch. But if are you sure if... about that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm being kind there actually. No, but I think I think Nick does make a good point there. Um, with, with having with having no fans in the foot in a full season of a Premier League it has it has shown with some of the strangest results you know like um, you know with these, the 7-2 against Liverpool with Villa and the 6-1 at Old Trafford with Tottenham and there's been a few like that there's been a few crazy games even the, the Chelsea West Brom recently you know with, with fans in the grounds I think it makes like a, a, a tad bit of difference to these, these types of games and to the season as a whole and City this season have They've been like a juggernaut in the league. They've only lost, well, they've lost as many games as Man United, just Man United have drawn more. Um, but the um, the 28 out of 30 games, the winning streak that we've been on, um, I don't know if that would have happened in, in different circumstances. I have no idea. But the, I think overall, what Nick's trying to say there is, as the quality of the, the, the league, you know, is, has it not been as good as it, as it usually is? And I think he does make a point there. I think we've, we've, Seasons gone by with full stadiums, with fans in the grounds. I think it has been a little bit more dramatic and, you know, less sort of like, you know, it's already done. The title seems to be done and dusted. We know what teams are going to be sort of relegated. We know Sheffield United are going down. That's actually not not as um, nailed on as it, as it usually is. Like 18th place, I think is still like sort of like, um, like you got Newcastle and Brighton and stuff like that still hovering around there. So there's still there's still things to play for, but yeah, I think he does he does make a point. It has it hasn't helped with fans not being in the grounds, obviously. Yeah, it's never as exciting as well when you've got seven eight games to go and most things have been decided. Uh, it's never quite as dramatic, and I think that's part of the point that Nick's making. But as for the first bit of his question, Ian, has this been the worst season of Premier League football ever? What do you think? Um. Like you say, it's it's hard to judge because it's such a different season with you know not having the fans in. In terms of boring and things like that, no, I think there there are still plenty of things to play for. We've still got and yeah, Man City are pretty much you know home and hosed, one hand on the title and stuff like that. I can't see as uh, as Matt mentions there. Uh, I can't see anybody really catching them or indeed Guardiola allowing that to happen. They've got they've got a healthy lead and the chasing pack don't seem to be causing Man City any any particular problems. The the European aspect, I think there's still plenty to play for there, and everything's not sorted in the in the relegation zone either because West uh, West Brom are still making a fist of it. Uh, they can still get out at that end. You know Newcastle could could go either way. Um, you know th- there's other teams that could get sucked into that as well. So I think at this point there's still plenty to play for, and as Matt mentioned, you know the lack of fans being in the stadiums we're not getting that extra atmosphere which is probably making things seem a little bit more um a little bit a little bit duller um imagine a season where one team spent 274 days at the top of the premier league in a single season possibly that might be the most boring year uh, that was um, 2014-2015, Chelsea um, and uh, Mourinho's second spell there. I think that might be a slightly duller uh, ch- title race uh, for having one team really not really budge off the top yeah. all season. Wasn't so, much of a race, was it? Not really. No. So, you know, th- there are there are other examples. 2017-2018 um, when, uh, when Man City romped. Romps that was away a fantastic season. That oh, was yeah, for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose on that as well, I guess, did the season where you went neck and neck with Liverpool I guess even though you got 100 points was extremely satisfying but to pip Liverpool by a point when you had been neck and neck all season and it literally came down to the one-on-one clashes between you I'll tell you that now that was more satisfying than the Centurion season far more satisfying because we I think we went on a 14 game winning streak we got beat by Newcastle at the end of January and we won every single game from then on in the league to 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 pip Liverpool 
yeah. worldy. Yeah, and the, and the worldy from company. And it was so much like Liverpool, us, it was just, it was just a constant back and forth. Liverpool would win. And then mm. we'd be Liverpool play on the Saturday and then we'd have to go and play on the Sunday and win. And, or, you know, I don't think I could ever take another season like that because um, my heart, every single, even when I was playing teams like Burnley and Palace and stuff like that, I was like, oh, if we yeah. drop points today and Liverpool have won, you know what I mean? It's over. And no, it was, no, it was horrible. But if you laid out on a table, you know, a scrapbook of the best Premier League seasons ever, you'd put the one where you won in 2012, where you got the Aguero moment and won on goal difference against United. You'd yeah. probably put in recent times the one with you and Liverpool, where it went neck and neck and you won the title by a point. And you'd probably yeah. put something like, I think, in the 90s when Newcastle United were top, Kevin Keegan with the, they still got to go to Middlesbrough and get something and I they bottled it to Manchester United. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> but those were all really close title races. And I think that is what makes Premier League seasons memorable. When a side romps away to the glory and the title, I don't think it's ever as entertaining. Um, so that would be my take on it. I think the biggest one for me this season, obviously I've, I've got an eye on City winning the league, but I want West Ham desperately to get the Champions League. I want obviously, <laughs> obviously. I know Jim's a massive West Ham fan, and I was speaking to him about it on Sunday during the game about. And he, he's he's um, a pessimist, Jim, as he has every right to be, because West Ham haven't been the most consistent of teams in the last few seasons. But they're still up there, and I still want them to keep picking up the points. And I, I, I'd never thought I'd ever see Leicester win the league, bearing in mind. But West Ham in the Champions League as well—that'd be something special. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for your question, Nick. Really appreciate that, and appreciate you listening to every single podcast that we do. You can send us a question at the Sports Social on Twitter at Sports Social Official and Instagram. And if you're on Facebook, just search in the search bar for Sports Social and you can find our page there. We've always got the DMs open and willing to welcome any questions, not just on a Wednesday or a Tuesday before a Wednesday show, right throughout the week, get them in, we'll bank them and then we'll use them on the podcast. Which takes us to our final question from Treasure, who often asks a question during AQA as well. Thanks for this one, Treasure. He wants to know, what's the most bizarre thing you've ever heard a manager say in a press conference? Jose Mourinho once said, bread is bread and cheese is cheese. Wow, I don't remember him ever saying that, but Treasure obviously does. Um, what about you, Ian? Any memorable examples you can think of? I, I can't remember if it was exactly in a press conference or or if it was um, like you know a post match one or if it was a a pre match presser. Um, the one that springs to mind was Howard Wilkinson, and I remember Howard Wilkinson once, and it might have been just a radio press conference in like a porter cabin, and I think it was at Sunderland. I think. He came out, um, this was a reporter that was there that told me, he, he came out with a carrier bag and in the carrier bag he had a load of nettles and he pulled the nettles out and grabbed hold of them and said, see, simple, sometimes we've just got to grasp the nettle. And, uh, <laughs> and it was kind of like a, a real-life uh, demonstration of, of what was required from, from his team. And, uh, yeah, I remember that certainly being a thing. Um, it was quite a while ago. I mean, it must be like 20 years ago whenever he was uh, in charge of Sunderland at that I time. I hope there's but, some footage um, of that. Certainly a, story that. certainly a story that was told to me by the, 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 the reporter at the time. The reporter's a Scottish guy called Bill, and he came back You'll never guess what he did. <laughs> he produces a carrier bag full of nettles. He went out and picked them nettles as well. You know he went out and picked them nettles or he got someone else to do it. That's the most bizarre thing about it. Someone went out and got them. He spent time <laughs> out of his day to find stinging nettles in the head from the supermarket. Like a I can't go out and physically pick them up. Yeah. Wow, that's mental. Prior preparation and all that, you know. He went to his local forest and said, "I need, <laughs> I need, need a yeah, I need a bunch of nettles to bring into a press conference." Um, uh, for me, yeah. the one I remember from recent times, Nigel Pearson, who's the manager of Leicester, 
you are an oh. ostrich. He called a reporter an ostrich. Um, and that was just <laughs> absolute meme gold on social media going around on Twitter. So, yeah, that is the most bizarre thing I've heard anyone say. Um, Nigel Pearson calling a reporter an ostrich. Anything for you, Matt, that crops to mind? Yeah, there's one that crops to mind. And I don't know how long ago. It must have, it must have been pretty recent because um, it was Holloway when he was in charge of Blackpool. Do you know which one I'm going to talk about? <laughs> there could be many. He does, he does, because he's laughing. Oh, really? well, listen, no, there's, there's, one, there's one about Ian Holloway talking about Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> he's, um, he's he goes on to say he's six foot something he's as fit as a flea he's good looking he's got to have something wrong with him hopefully he's hung like a hamster that would make us all feel but that, that would make us all feel better but this is the best part of it he goes having said that my missus has got a hamster at home and his cock's massive <laughs> oh that's brilliant <laughs> he's had he's had quite a few hasn't he ian holloway it's that bristolian he... accent yeah. as well isn't it? it makes it 10 times better oh yeah it's brilliant yeah, because yeah. didn't he have the one about how, um, you know, uh, look, you know, if I was going to compare it to a night out, it wasn't the best night out, but we've got the woman in the back of the cab on the way home and that's all that matters. Yeah. It's something yeah, like yeah, that. That's <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> yeah Absolutely. Oh, great stuff. That's funny. I forgot about that. I'm going to go and watch some Ian Holloway clips on YouTube now after this. Uh, cheers, Matt. Cheers, that's Ian. Fantastic. Appreciate your time as always here on Football Social Daily. My name's Niall. Don't forget, we'll have another podcast for you tomorrow and every day for the rest of the Premier League season. So if you like what you hear, leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts or something like that. Five stars would be absolutely lovely and leave us a message as well and we'll probably read them out on the podcast in future. Hit subscribe and you won't miss another show. But that's it for today and we'll catch you again soon on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Twitter at The Sports Social. <laughs>